Pastor Jim, I appreciate your kind words. Um, it's always awkward when somebody says all these really nice things about you and you come up and you're like, no, it's all about Jesus. And, um, but it's a real privilege to be here today. I'm, I'm grateful that Pastor Jeff invited me to share the word. Um, I, I, it's just been such a thrill um, having Connection Point Church as my church home. You guys have actually supported me as a missionary for um, 15 years. So yeah, thank you very much for those who give to missions, and I'm one of the people that you're giving to every month so that I can do what God's called me to do. I'm a missionary with the Assemblies of God, a Chi Alpha missionary. I don't know if you guys have heard about Chi Alpha. I'm assuming you have, right? Um, so I came here in 07 to lead a team to pioneer the Chi Alpha ministry at Purdue University, and I served as the director there for 13 years. And in 2020, I transitioned into what I'm doing now, working still with Chi Alpha as a missionary, but instead of being on a local campus, I'm serving in a national capacity, training Chi Alpha missionaries in the U.S. and also those who serve overseas in matters of applied theology and culture, uh, specifically related to God's design for sexuality, because there's a, a lot of confusion in our culture today regarding those things, obviously. So it's been a real joy uh, traveling. I'm, I'm gone almost every week. I'm somewhere else in another church or with a Chi Alpha group or whatever it might be. So I'm kinda, it's kind of hit or miss whether you see me on, on Sundays here at church. But I, I happen to be here this Sunday and Pastor Jeff asked me months ago if I would preach on Sunday, July 3rd. And I said, oh man, I would be honored to. That would be so much fun. And he told me we were doing a series on uh, the book of James. And he gave me months ago, these are the verses that I want you to preach on. And uh, I was just thrilled, one, because I get to talk on a topic that has nothing to do with sexuality and the stuff that I normally speak on, <laughs> which I enjoy doing that. I love doing what God's called me to do. But um, it's I, one of the things I miss about directing Chi Alpha at Purdue University, being on a local campus and just walking everyday life through with people is just talking about everyday life things and preaching on other parts of the word and studying the word um, expositorily and things like that. So um, I started studying the book of James verse by verse, word by word, um, as, as Pastor Jeff started the series. And I thought, yeah, this is good. I'm gonna study this and then also get into the verses that he assigned to me. And it has just been so refreshing, just going through the word, studying something, um, and just letting the Holy Spirit speak. The word is alive, is it not? You just open it up and you read it and it's alive. And then you begin studying it. You start thinking about the verses and how they connect. And then there's certain words that jump out at you. And you go, you know, I wonder what that word means in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek. And we have all sorts of internet tools. You can just click on the word and it will pop up the definition. You young people have no clue. Before the internet, do you remember when we used to have the Strong's Concordance? It was, it was like this thick, literally, this thick. And if you wanted to look up an original word in the Hebrew or the Greek, you had to pull out your Strong's Concordance and boom, pop that thing open and look. And it took a lot of effort and a lot of time. Just for one word, you could spend 20 minutes just figuring out how to find the one word and what it means and how it goes back to the verse that you're studying. It took hours and hours and hours. And now you can just click, 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 click and go through. And it's amazing. But at any rate, I'm, I'm uh, extremely happy to be here today and that the fact that Pastor Jeff gave me verses that have to do with the word, um, and if anybody affiliated with Chi Alpha knows, like, that's like my thing. <laughs> I love the word of God. The word is alive. Jesus is the word made flesh. You get more of the word in you, you're getting more of Jesus in you. And it's where the life, the heartbeat of God is as far as our, our Christian walk. 
Um, and the, one of my other favorite topics is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and that's how I know some of you guys from when I was preaching the Bethel women's retreats and, and preaching on the baptism in the Holy Spirit and stuff too. And I'll tell you what, you get those two things in your life, you get the word and you get the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will take off in your growth as a believer. So we are going to read the passage that we're doing today, and if you would stand with me, uh, just in honor of God's living word, we're going to read this passage through together out loud. We've got the verses up here on the screen, and I'm going to lead you and read you kind of slowly, and we're just going to do this together. Um, And actually, we're going to do, yeah, we're going to start at verse 22. Okay. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Father, I pray as we look into your word this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would cater this message to every individual seated here and even those that are watching online. Lord, you know what our hearts are needing to hear from you. And so I just pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, Lord, that they would be a blessing, that they would be in tune and in line with you. God, that you would just speak your words. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So jumping right into this, James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And this whole idea of being deceived, here's the scary thing about deception. If you're deceived, you don't know it. If you're deceived, you're clueless that you're deceived. You actually need someone else to point out, and sometimes you can try to tell people they're deceived and they don't even see what you're trying to tell. That's going on a lot in our culture today. There's a lot of crazy stuff going down, and people are being absolutely illogical, and you're like, why? That doesn't even make sense. And yet, some people have fallen under what the Bible calls a strong delusion of the enemy. This is like a a case of spiritual warfare that we're experiencing right now where the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world, but they have power to pull down divine, uh, divine power to pull down strongholds. What's a stronghold? Anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. What we have going on today is people who have come under a stronghold and they are set against the knowledge of God. And when you try to speak the truth to them, it makes no sense to them. They're deceived, and what they're sharing is not logical at all, because you cannot oppose the God of truth and operate in logic at the same time, because God's truth is logical. 
And so you, there's a sure sign. When somebody falls under deception, you're not able to talk somebody out of deception because they're not thinking reasonably. That's where the power of prayer and spiritual warfare comes in. So here's the idea, starting out here, don't merely listen to the word. If you just listen to it, but you don't do it, you will walk in deception. You will, you will fall prey to deception. So we should be really careful, not just to be people who hear the word and say, oh yeah, 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 I know it. I've, I've heard that, I've memorized it, I can quote it. Yeah, but are we doing it? The whole concept of Christianity is what Jesus came to the earth to do. Jesus is the word made flesh. He became flesh and he dwelled among us. Did you know that that's God's desire for us as believers? That the word would become flesh in us. And that where we go and where we live, we would be salt, we would be light. People would be able to look at our lives and deduce something about the character and the nature of God because of the way we are living our lives. And they say, you know what? I, I, I don't know what it is about that person. This, this was true of me when I was not a believer. I was around these other Christians and I found myself sitting in a circle that we were in a small group and they're all talking about God and you know Jesus in their lives, whatever. And in my heart, I said, you know what? I don't know what it is these people have but I want what they've got. And it's because the word had become alive and it was flesh in them and they were living it out in front of me and I was just intrigued with, they had something that was different than what the world had to offer. And that's what God desires of us, that we don't just hear the word, but we're actually doing it, we're actually becoming image bearers and people look at our lives and see something about the character and the nature of God and who he is and they're provoked to a godly jealousy to wanna know God the way that, we know God because he lives inside of us and his word has become flesh in us. One of the themes in the book of James is that faith without works is dead, right? Now, there's, there's kind of two extremes there on the, the spectrum. There can be people who say, oh no, it's, you, you get saved by your works. That, that's how I grew up as a kid. I went to this church that preached basically, um, if, if the, you do enough good things, be a good enough person, and your good outweighs the bad, then you have a good shot at heaven. At least that's how I interpreted things growing up. Maybe that's not what they were saying, but that's how I heard it growing up. And so I literally thought, if I am a really good person, and I help little old ladies across the street, and um, I do good things, and I don't kill anybody, then I have a good shot at heaven, right? So people like Mother Teresa go to heaven, but people like Hitler go to hell. And, and in fact, when somebody asked me, Linda, how sure are you you go to heaven when you die? I had it down to a percentage, I said 85%. <laughs> and they, they said, really, 85%, now why not 100? And I said, well, you know, I, I try to be a good person. Um, I, I try to, you know, not cheat and steal and lie and, you know, things like that. Um, and I haven't killed anybody, so I've really got that working in my favor. Um, but there are things that I'm not proud of. And there were, I was in bondage to addictions behind closed doors. And there were things in my life that I hadn't told anybody. And I was pretty sure God wasn't okay with it. And so I thought, you know, I'm, I try to be a good person, but I'm not so sure that I would make it on my own works and my own effort. And so that day, somebody shared with me the good news of the gospel, and they said, Linda, do you understand you don't get saved by what you do? Uh, I, they shared the essence of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, uh, which says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I understood that day that I got saved for the first time that it's by grace I am saved through faith, not by my good works. I can't earn my salvation. There's not enough good things I could ever do to overcome the fact that I'm not perfect and holy like God is holy. My good works will not erase my sin before a holy God. But I realized that day that it's a gift that I can just simply receive from God by faith and say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to enter your kingdom, to live in eternity, to have your spirit live inside of me. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God because of my sin. You're holy and I am not. But thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. And I received that free gift. And that day that I received that gift, his spirit came to live inside of me. And we're actually going to, I'm going to pray at the end. If, if there are people here you've never prayed to receive that gift, I'm going to pray and give you the opportunity to receive that gift just like I did years ago, to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And the day I received that gift, he came to live inside of me and my life began to change from that moment forward because of the Spirit of God. And I realized I'm not saved by my works. I'm simply saved by grace through faith. And the reality is, though, we get on a spectrum where we start to say, well, you're not saved by works, so it doesn't matter what you do. But again, faith without works is dead. I don't do good works to get saved. I do good works because I'm saved. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That was God's plan, that we were created in the image of God to image him to the rest of the world, to do good things, to show people the goodness of God and what he's like in and through our lives, right? So I don't do good works to get saved. I do good works because his spirit lives inside of me. His word has become alive in me. He is changing me and conforming me to his image so I think like him. I begin to feel what his heart feels and it motivates me to do the things that God would do. And so it is by grace we are saved through faith, but faith without works is dead. And it actually does a lot of damage. You've, you've, uh, I have a friend, um, Jill, I think she's here today, I haven't been out mingling among you to know where she is, but um, Jill got saved a year ago and she was really turned off by religious people. She had gone to churches earlier in life and there were people who said they followed God but they didn't live out the word. They had faith without works. They were judgmental, they were mean, they were cranky. They did not represent the character and the nature of God to her. And it, it left a bad taste in her mouth. And she's like, ah, if that's what being a Christian is, I don't want that. Faith without works is dead and actually doesn't just hurt you, it can hurt other people. So we don't want to be deceived and just merely listen to the word and not actually live it out. So in James 1.23 it says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And it was so cool as I was studying this passage, I, I've read this over and over for years and I just never really quite got the mirror analogy. I don't know, I did like I was just dense. Maybe you guys got it the first time you read it but like it just didn't register with me until just last week as I was studying this. And I thought, you know, how, how, often, how often do you look in a mirror? Pretty much every day, right? I mean, unless you're in bed sick or for some reason can't move and are incapacitated, probably you get up out of bed and you go, you know, wash your face and you're brushing your teeth and you're, if you're a man, you're shaving, a woman, you're putting on makeup, you're doing your hair, you're whatever. Like, we, we spend, you know, a number of minutes in front of a mirror every single day. Some of us longer than others. 
Uh, some of us need a little more help than others, right? But at, let's just say on average, you spend 10 minutes in front of a mirror a day. You know, morning and night, and you add it up all up together, 10 minutes a day. Over the course of 365 days, one year, that's 3,650 minutes in front of a mirror, right? If, it, it, that's a long time. Um, and so if, if you were to average it out 10 minutes a day, it, it actually calculates to like 60 hours in front of a mirror, two and a half solid days looking at yourself in a mirror. We have looked at ourselves in a mirror so much that you know what you look like. You don't get surprised when somebody shows a, a picture of you on Facebook, whatever, and you go, that's, that's me? Is that me? I have brown hair? Are you kidding me? I didn't know I had brown hair. I thought I had blonde hair. The reality is we look in a mirror and we know, we've, we've seen ourselves so often, we know what we look like that we're not surprised when we see a picture of ourselves or when, sometimes we are surprised when we get up in the morning with the bedhead and whatever and you look in the mirror and you're like, ah, right? But, but we know what we're supposed to look like, right? The mirror shows us our image, our reflection, and we know, oh yeah, that's me. Did you know the word of God is supposed to be the same thing? We look into the word of God and it shows us the image of Christ and what it looks like for Christ, the word to become flesh in me. Linda, this is what it looks like to live as my follower in the world. You are to look like this. You are to say this. You are to do this. You are to have these motivations. The word of God shows me what I'm supposed to look like, how it is that I live out the Christian life on planet earth. And in the same way that we look into a mirror every single day to adjust our hair and you know, brush our teeth and all of that stuff, we should be looking into the word of God every single day. When you get in there consistently every single day, it begins to change you. It begins to change not just your external appearance, but it'll change you and your motivations in your heart, which will eventually affect the outward things that you do as well. And looking into that mirror every single day, and it doesn't take long, just like in the natural, it doesn't take three hours. If you're spending three hours looking in the mirror and all that, like that's, there's probably something wrong and you're really caught up in vanity, right? You don't need that long to get ready. But in the same way that like if you were to take all two and a half solid days over the course of a year, 10 minutes a day, and say, I'm gonna consolidate my mirror time into just two and a half straight days. I'm not gonna sleep, I'm not gonna eat, I'm not gonna do anything, I'm just gonna look at a mirror for two and a half days. But then the rest of the year, I'm not gonna look in a mirror at all. Like that's really not gonna benefit you. <laughs> it's gonna tire you out and it's gonna be pointless <laughs> as far as an exercise. You need the mirror every day to show you what you look like so that you can adjust and you know, go out and look decent when you leave the house, right? And it's the same way looking into God's word. You could sit down and read 60 chapters of God's word in one sitting, and that's a good thing. That's, that's nothing gonna hurt you. But if that's all you do and you read it all at once and you're not in it every single day investing and sowing into your soul, you will get more benefit from consistent exposure to the word on a daily basis than you will just binging one time and then ignoring it the other days. Does that make sense? So making that continual daily investment is what begins to transform us from the inside out. And again, scripture talks about not being deceived if we merely listen, but then we don't do it. It doesn't get in us so deeply that it affects what we do. We are walking in deception. 
And we've gotten to the point in modern day Christianity, uh, especially in, in just modern day churches where we say, okay, we know we're not saved by works. You can't earn your salvation. And so we go from one extreme to the total opposite extreme, that now it doesn't matter what you do. God loves everybody and he loves you right where you're at in the middle of your mess, and that is true. But again, it's faith with works. Faith without works is dead. And some people are saying, no, it's just faith. It's just you need to believe in Jesus and God loves you. And once you pray the sinner's prayer, you're good to go for the rest of your life until you go see Jesus in eternity. You just need to pray the prayer and believe in God and that's it. You don't have to do anything. And actually, that's not what the word says. Faith without works is dead. You're deceived if you think that the word shouldn't transform us so much that it actually impacts our external things that we do. Another passage that refers to the same idea of deception uh, addresses some of the things going on in our culture today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 to 11, the Apostle Paul says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those who do wrong. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, or adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now what's interesting here is the Apostle Paul lists a number of sins that we are all familiar with. And you, you can't like pick and, chew and choose and play favorites and say, well, I, this sin is worse than this sin. There's a whole bunch of things listed in this passage that we are all guilty of in this room. It, it talks about people who are greedy. Anybody ever dealt with greed? <laughs> Anybody ever dealt with idolatry? And you're like, oh no, because I don't make an idol in my room and bow down to it. But you know what? There are certain relationships in your life that you have said, this is more of a priority than my relationship with God. And you've idolized that person. Or you've idolized money and having riches and comfort in life rather than dying to self and giving money away and obeying God if he asks you to do it. Or there are a number of things that we do in our heart to say, I am gonna serve these things. I need accomplishments and achievements and people loving me and praising me. And we bow our knee to the praises of men rather than bowing to the will of God in our lives. And some of us have struggled. I, I used to struggle with my sexuality and I was caught up in all sorts of addictions that I knew were not okay with God, but I was afraid to tell anybody because I, I didn't want anybody to look down on me and reject me and any of that. But I guarantee you, there's people in this room that struggle with their sexuality in a, in a variety of ways. There may be people that are addicted to pornography today. There may be boyfriends and girlfriends that are sleeping together before they've made the covenant of marriage. There may be people who are adopting alternative sexual identities and things aren't, that aren't congruent with God's design for our sexuality. We all deal with sin in a variety of ways. We all break in different ways. But here's what scripture says, is that wrongdoers, if we continue in habitual, unrepentant, repetitive sin, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Faith without works, external change, is dead. Now, it got really quiet in here. As soon as I brought up that verse, everybody's like, wow, this is getting kind of a, hmm, where's she going with this? Well, the reality is this. I know what it's like to be caught up, especially in sexual addictions, and feel like I can't get free, I can't change myself. I, I want to, but I, but I can't, and what do I do? And here's the good news. 
You find yourself caught up in addiction. It doesn't have to be a, of a sexual matter. It could be anything. You're addicted to the praises of people. You're addicted to the comforts of life and having riches. You're, you're addicted to whatever it might be. And you're bowing your knee to sin in some area of your life. And it's an area where it's like, you just feel like you can't get free. I mean, I've even dealt with like, you know, addiction to food. Anybody ever been addicted to sugar and flour? <laughs> feel my pain, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I would turn to food instead of turning to Jesus. And I knew it was wrong. But it was like, I just know this food is going to make me feel better in, in these next five minutes. This cheeseburger will satisfy the thirst of my soul. And I, I just feel like I, I need to eat this because if I go spend five minutes with God, I don't think that's going to meet the need. But this cheeseburger will. It'll meet my need right now, you know. And then you gain weight and then you look in the mirror and you feel fat and then you feel condemned and guilty and shamed. and what, We've all dealt with stuff like that, right? And I got to the point where I was so addicted to food, I just felt like I couldn't get free. And, and other things in life, too. But I've discovered there's freedom in Jesus. There's freedom in his word. And one of the secrets, the keys to that, is one of the verses we talked about last week, James 1, 19. It says, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And as soon as Michael read that verse last week, he may have thought I wasn't paying attention to his message because he said the word produce when he read it on the screen and something exploded inside of me because I had been studying James 1 that morning and it just like, boom, I just saw the whole chapter through a new light, through the one word produce and it opened up that passage to me in a brand new way. And I was like, what? And so I start looking up the Greek and other things on my phone while I'm sitting there during his message. And it was, it was just, so I want to share some of those insights that exploded in me. The next verse says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word of God planted in you, which can save you. Now that word save can mean salvation as far as like eternal life, but it also means to rescue you, to deliver you, to set you free. And you know what? There might be an area of your life where you feel like I need to be rescued I need to be delivered. I need to be set free because I got hangups and things I'm turning to instead of turning to God and I don't feel like I can change that about myself. Well, you know what? It's not up to you to change it. It's the word of God planted in you that will save you. Now think about the word of God being planted in you. Think about a plant. If you plant a seed in the ground, in order for that seed to grow and to mature into a healthy plant and eventually produce fruit, that takes some effort. It takes some care. It takes some nurture. It takes protecting it from harmful weather and, and, and feeding it you know, water and nutrients and fertilizer, whatever it needs. Like I, I brought in a, a picture today on a PowerPoint slide of my tomato um, garden in my yard. This is spring. Um, when I planted the new, I cheated. I didn't buy the seeds. I bought the little starter plants because <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to do seeds from scratch. But I, had, I planted my little starter plants in there um, way back in May. And I knew, like, I can't just plant them and then leave them and walk away and, and hope that, you know, in August I can show up and there's going to be some tomatoes there. I had to pay attention to the weather. And even before that, I had to pay attention to the soil. I had to till up the soil, get the weeds and stuff out of there. I put um, fresh topsoil in there. I put manure in there. It was disgusting. I put bone meal in there because I found out bone meal is something that really helps tomato plants. Who knew? And so I found some bone meal on Amazon, whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm spending considerable time preparing the soil because if I don't prepare the soil, it's not going to grow well. 
It takes time, it takes attention, it takes effort, it takes nurture. And then I had to water the plants and pay attention to the weather when it's super, we got really extra dry, hot, dry weather now, so I had to pay attention to that and extra water and so forth. Well, I took a picture of the plants a few days ago and the next picture shows that they are growing. Look at that. And they, they actually have little um, pieces of fruit on them. There's tomatoes on them. And eventually, with continued nurture and protection and guidance, they will turn red and hopefully be juicy red tomatoes that I can put on sandwiches and share with all of you because I have six plants and it's going to be way too many for me. So if you need tomatoes, let me know. Um, but all of this takes effort. It takes nurture. It takes care. It takes attention so that fruit can be produced. It's the same way with the word of God planted in us. It's not the word of God that's just the seed that's dropped and not cared and nurtured for. It's the word that's planted with care, with nurture, with effort and attention that eventually will grow up and produce fruit in our lives. It's not up to you to produce the fruit. It's up to you to expose your spirit to the to the power of God's word on a regular daily basis and the seed of life that is in his word will give birth to his fruit in and through your life. That's grace. That's God giving you the power and the desire to overcome in those areas where you just feel defeated and you can't do it. Well, you know what? You can't do it. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We need his word to be planted in us, nurtured in us, and to grow and to have, pay attention to it so it will grow up and eventually produce fruit in our lives. Now, it's that word produce that when Michael read that last week, I was like, kaboom, and I just started seeing everything in chapter one through the lens of producing or giving birth or you know, things coming forth. Like you go back to James 1.18, it talks about God. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. His word is like a seed planted in us. That day that I received Jesus, the good news of the gospel, it got planted in me. And at that moment, God gave me birth. I became a new creation in the kingdom of God. But even just before those verses in chapter 118, those, the verses before it talk about temptation. And remember how it talks about when you're tempted, uh, each one is tempted when by their own evil desires that we are drawn away, dragged away, and enticed by that evil desire. And when that desire is conceived, it will eventually give birth and produce, what does it produce? Sin and eventually death, right? And so there's this idea of production in a negative sense that when we, we receive evil desires and we, we don't just take those thoughts captive and, and turn away, but we like let that resonate within us and we let it get planted in us. Eventually that's gonna get planted and it's gonna conceive and it's gonna grow and it's gonna produce. But what it's gonna produce is produce death. It's not gonna produce life. But when God's word is planted in us, eventually that's gonna produce the life of the kingdom in us. And so the, that all came alive when uh, last week uh, Michael read, human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God's, God desires. It's not up to us to produce in our flesh the righteousness God desires. It's the word of God that will produce in us. Well, then I was thinking back further. I was like, produce, produce. It's all throughout this chapter. James chapter one, verse three. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And it's talking about, you know, as we're going through trials, we should consider it pure joy. Why? Because God's doing something. He's producing something in us, in the midst of us, in the midst of that. And it is through the testing that maturity and fruit eventually comes. My tomato plants are being tested right now because we've got 90 degree weather and no rain. And so they're being tested. Now I'm out there, I'm paying attention to them. I was out there this morning, I was watering my little tomato plants and making sure they don't wither up and die. But I, one of the things about watering, if you're taking care of like your, your lawn that's you know, going dormant, whatever, like they say if you're watering your lawn, you shouldn't water every day lightly. Like if you water every day for 15 minutes a day, the roots become really shallow and they just like, thank you, thank you for the water, thank you, thank you, thank you. And they just take it in, but they get really shallow roots and it will die in the drought. What you're supposed to do is water less often, but more deeply. And so you water two times a week really deeply rather than every day for 15 minutes. And so what happens is it forces those roots, they get the water, but on the days that they don't have water, the roots have to go down deeper to find nutrients. And that's what happens to us during testing and trials. Our roots are being tested. The word of God planted in us has to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And that happens through trials. It doesn't happen on the mountaintop. It happens when your faith is tested. And there's one question that is always at the forefront when our faith is tested, and it's the same age-old question that goes back to the Garden of Eden. Speaking of gardening, (laughs) when Satan tempted Eve, he said, did God really say? Did his word really say that? No, 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 you should eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, God's keeping something from you. He knows the day that you eat of it, you're gonna become like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. So God is not good, he's evil. And he's keeping something from you. You should eat this because you don't need God. You need this instead. The age-old question is, did God's word really say? And underneath that is the fundamental question, is God good? Does he really love me? Does he really care for me? Is his, are his ways really higher than my ways? Is his word really gonna meet my ultimate need in life? The reason why we sin is because we take a shortcut to get the desires of our heart met in unrighteous ways. God's not against us having desires in our heart. He wants to delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. He wants to meet our desires in righteous and holy ways, right? But the way that our, our faith gets tested under trials is we, the, the enemy starts to say, you know what, Linda, I don't think God really cares for you. This bad thing is happening in your life and it's because God is not good. No, God is not your circumstance. God is good, his word says he is good. And I have to choose to believe his word regardless of my circumstance. And when I'm tempted with temptation to go find a shortcut to these desires met, but let's say we'll use stress eating for an example, because I think I, I heard most of you resonating with that. So, you know, we come under stress and it's like, oh, I could totally dig into this piece of cheesecake right now. I don't know why cheese is always involved, but cheese, whatever. Um, it's just like a comfort food. And it's like, I could totally dig into that. And I've dealt with that where it's like, I, I want to bury myself in whatever has cheese in it for the next 10 minutes and make me forget about the stress in life. Or I can say, you know what? I'm gonna turn to you and release my burdens to the Lord because I believe you're good, I believe you care, and I believe you can help me in this area. See, there's the choice to, to forego 
connecting with God and receiving his goodness by choosing something else as a shortcut instead. And that's why in James 1.17 it says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who doesn't change. God doesn't change. He's good. And everything he gives is good. His word is good. His ways are good if you'll follow them. But our flesh wants to tell us to short circuit and not follow God and follow our own way instead. James 1.25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. That word in, looks intently means to, to stoop down, to bend over, to get a closer look, to again, really look into the word of God and study it and memorize it. One of the things that helps the word of God get in me is that there'll be certain verses as I'm, you know how you read your Bible and a verse jumps out and you highlight it and you're like, oh, that's really good. I'll highlight it, I'll write it down, I'll begin to pray it back to God and I'll even commit it to memory and pray it from memory to God over and over and over again. And it, that's how the word gets planted in me. And it's the perfect law that gives freedom which sounds like an oxymoron. How can a law bring freedom, right? But Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is perfect. And the more of his words you get in you, the more freedom begins to come alive in your soul and in your life. Because it's not about you doing good works to earn your salvation. It's about the word of God planting in you and the word doing its work in you. First Thessalonians 2.13. It's the word of God at work in you who believe to produce the fruit of the kingdom. So it's all about the word becoming flesh in us. So in closing, we've got the last two verses, James 1, 26 and 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, we, we read that word religious, and uh, you know, we talk about how having uh, a relationship with Jesus, it's a relationship, not a religion, right? So we're, I, I'm not into religion, wrote works for the sake of works. Works don't save you, religion doesn't save you. We, the word religion here in this context is the emphasis on the external things that we do. And, and we use that word in the English language. We talk about people exercising religiously, like that it's just what they do. It's, it's an external discipline that they have in, our li in their lives. And we can have discipline in our lives, even spiritually. Read your Bible every day, pray every day, memorize scripture, go to church, give money, whatever. And we can do those things religiously where it doesn't have meaning behind it. But what God wants to do is for what, is, what we're doing externally to be because it's been birthed internally first in our hearts. And that's why there's a connection there between those who consider themselves religious and keeping a tight rein on their tongue. Because the religious is the external works that we do, but the tongue represents the internal. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And keeping a tight rein on our tongue is a sign of maturity, that I'm not just about rote external works, but there's actually something deep internal that God is doing in me. And it's a sign of maturity, and it's a, one of the ways that we image God. There is life and death in the power of the tongue. The things that we say to other people, even just last night, I was in conversation with somebody, 
And some thoughts were coming to mind of something funny I could have said, you know, a joke. And um, I struggle with that a lot. Funny things come to mind, but then I'm like, oh, but that would have this connotation and mean that and come across this way. And I, I, I used to choose the joke because I wanted the laugh more than I wanted to be right with God. <laughs> but I realized, you know what, I, I want to I be one who keeps a tight ring on my tongue so that what I say is imaging God, imaging his kingdom, and not just, you know, works of the flesh and... and uh, stuff that bears no fruit for eternity. And then the last part, it talks about religion that God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. I found that interesting, in their distress, when it, earlier in the chapter it talks about us going through trials, consider it pure joy when we're going through trials. But you know, one of the best things we can do is help others in their trials when we're going through trials as well, getting the focus off of us. But what do widows and orphans represent? As you look at the context of James 2, in the next um, chapter, uh, it talks about the rich and the poor coming into church. And so the rich come in, you give them a, a nice seat, but the poor, oh, you, you come here and sit at my feet. And they were, they were discriminating against poor people and, and discriminating against the least of these, which is what orphans and widows represent, the least of these. They can't do anything. They don't have money to give you. They don't have prestige and power to give you. But how we treat the least of these really reveals, are we really following God? Do we really have the heart of the Lord? Or are we just doing religion for external show so people think that we're spiritual, but we don't really have the goods inside? I remember when I was teaching high school, the advice I got from an older teacher once was um, pay attention not just to the principal and the superintendent and the, the people that can um, open doors for you and give you quote unquote power. What really matters is how you treat the janitor. What really matters is how you treat the paralegal professional that's there and not getting paid and, and working really hard and single mom and trying to feed her kids. Like, how do you treat the least of these that can't do anything for you? And that really, it stuck with me. And I began living that out as a high school teacher. I made a point to get to know the names of the janitors, to get to know the names of the paralegals and the people that the world would consider the least of these. How does that carry over into your life? Who are the least of those in your life? How are you treating the people that, that don't have money, that don't have prestige, that don't have power, that don't have position, and they can't do anything for you? Are you overlooking them? Are you treating them like dirt? Or are you loving them the way that Jesus loves you and me in the middle of our mess? Amen? So our, our, our closing um, thought for today is let's be doers of the word and not just hearers. Let's not deceive ourselves into thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I've heard that. I, I can quote it. I've memorized it. Are we really doing it? Has the word become flesh in you? Are you an image bearer so that the word is producing fruit? Are you struggling in an area of your life with addiction or, or some other area where you, you need freedom? It's the word of God planted in you that will deliver you, rescue you, save you, produce the fruit of God in your life. Are you planting the word of God in you on a regular basis? So these are my two questions as, as we close. Have you received the free gift of salvation? Some of you may be here and you may have thought, I can save myself by my good works. The way I used to think, if my good outweighs the bad, I have a good shot at heaven. Have you ever, do you need to receive that free gift of salvation this morning? I'm gonna offer a prayer and, and pray that this morning if you want to receive that free gift. And then the other prayer I'm gonna pray is for those of you that, are you willing to make a commitment daily 
to take in the word, to expose your soul, your body, your spirit to the word on a regular basis so that his word becomes flesh in you and begins to produce the fruit of God in you. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me as we close in prayer this morning. And I wanna, the first prayer I wanna pray is a prayer of receiving that free gift of salvation. If you're here and you've never received that gift, I'd like to know who I'm praying with this morning. And would you just raise your hand and say, that nobody's looking around, everybody's heads are bowed, we're closing, we're praying. Is there somebody here and you're like, I would like to receive that free gift of salvation. I've, I've thought I could work to earn my way and I'm realizing this morning, I can just receive this free gift and I would like to pray that prayer with you as we're all praying it together. I'd like to receive that free gift. Is there anybody here today you'd like to receive that gift? Just raise your hand so I can see it and you can put it down. Is there anybody here today? Okay, we're gonna go ahead and pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, oh, we're gonna pray it out loud. <laughs> pray after me. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross in my place to pay the penalty that I owe for my sin. I receive your free gift of salvation and I invite you to live inside of me and change me to become an image bearer that reflects your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to keep praying. One more prayer I'm going to pray. Is there anybody here you want to make a commitment of a daily intake of God's word to get it planted in you and, I, and, and so that it bears fruit in your life? If that's you today, just raise your hand. I want to plant God's word in me. I want to make a commitment this week. I'm going to make a regular commitment to plant God's word. Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that is living and active. And I pray for grace to plant your word in my soul so that it will bear fruit and I will image your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.